0: Over the last couple of months, we have looked at the three basic steps in the Bible study process. Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but just to kind of give you the framework of what we've looked at in the last several months. Uh, The first step, of course, is observation, where you ask the question, what do I see? The second step is interpretation. What does it mean? The third step is application. Application. How does it work? So that's kind of a summary of what we've talked about over the last couple of months. Observation, interpretation, application. Now, let me paint a picture for you. Have you ever seen a leaf float down a creek? And it's doing beautifully as it floats down the the creek and gently on top of the water. And then it it gets to a rock or a branch that's hanging down over the water or something. And it suddenly gets stuck there. You've seen that, I'm sure. Sure. That really is a picture of what some people do in their Bible study. They're doing very well and they get stuck at a certain area. I want to remind you what the three stages are or the three steps because I'm going to ask you a question. The question will be this, where do you think people get stuck most in Bible study? So the, the options are observation, interpretation, application. Where would you think people usually get stuck as they're going down the process of understanding Scripture? Give me your thoughts. Interpretation. Howard Hendricks says that too often that's where people begin their study, which is a mistake. They, they don't start with observation. Too often they begin their study with Interpretation. Which is a mistake. And he says, furthermore, they stop there, which is an even bigger mistake. They get so focused on interpretation. What does this mean? That they never really get to the, to the big step of application. How does it work? And in, because of that, the Bible becomes a book of information and a book of stories rather than a road map on how to live our lives. Now, I want you to consider this. See if you agree with this statement. If you don't, that's okay. You can still go to heaven. But see if you agree with this statement. The Bible does not bear fruit in our lives when it's understood. It only bears fruit when it is applied. Would you agree with that? And that's okay if you don't. But I believe it's true. That the Bible really doesn't bear fruit when we understand it. The Bible bears fruit when we apply it. A few months back, I'll tell you this story, a few months back I, I stopped to help a man in the community. He didn't know I was a pastor. I didn't tell him. It's always good not to say that sometimes when you meet people. So I stopped to help this guy. and I didn't tell him I was a pastor. And when I pulled up, he was drinking a beer. And he started to get in my truck. And I said, no, 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 you're not going to drink that beer in my truck. And he said, well, can I finish it? I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, go ahead and finish it if you want to. And so he he finished it. And then he got in my truck and we were driving somewhere and he was dropping cuss words every once in a while. And, uh, and then he started talking about drugs, about his brother who uh, was really bad into meth and all this. Man, I, I can't hang around that stuff. And he said, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, man. I smoke pot every now and then, but I don't do that hard stuff. And, and so it was that kind of a conversation. So I started talking to him about the Lord. And guess what he did? He started quoting scripture to me. He knew the Bible. Surprise me. He, start, I mean, he, he had memorized some things. And he literally started quoting Scripture. And I learned something that night. And I want you to write this down. This is, this is not in our book, How to Read Your Bible Like Seminary Student. It's not in the book. This, this is just something that, this is Keith's information if you want to write it down. It's a profound statement, alright? So you get ready to write this one down. You're going to need this one in your notebook because it's such a profound statement. Here it is. Information without application is just information. Isn't that profound? But isn't that true? Information, I know stuff about the Bible, I know some verses, I can quote some of them. Information without application is just information. There's nothing life-changing about it. You know, but let me remind you, the Bible wasn't written to give you a head full of knowledge. The Bible was written to transform your life. So information without application is just information. Now let me ask you a question. When you open your Bible, what is your purpose in reading it? You don't have to answer that out loud, but I want you to try to answer it quietly to yourself. When you open your Bible, what is your purpose in reading it? We frequently come to the Bible to read it, to study it, to teach it, maybe even to outline it. But how often do we come to the Bible to be changed by it? Let that sink in. That was a convicting thought to me. What's your purpose in reading it? When you come to the Bible, what's your purpose? Uh, If my purpose is just to read it or to study it or to teach it, Perhaps I'm not allowing it to change me. There's an inherent danger in Bible study, and the inherent danger is it can degenerate into a process that is intellectually fascinating and spiritually frustrating. And intellectually, this is fascinating to learn about the tabernacle. This is fascinating to, to learn what Jesus did the last week of his life. It's fascinating to learn the Jewish customs. And it's fascinating to look in Revelation and, and learn what's going to happen. And Bible study can be fascinating, absolutely. Intellectually, fascinating. But if it is not applied... It can be spiritually frustrating. See, our task is twofold. First, we must get into the Word of God for ourselves because nobody can study the Scripture for you. You agree with that, don't you? Nobody can study the Scripture for you. So the first task is to get into the Word of God for ourselves, but then we must allow the Word of God to get into us so that it brings about some permanent change in our character and permanent change in our conduct. You see, my friend... That was riding in the truck with me some time back. The word of God was in his mind. But it had not changed his character. It had not changed his conduct. He quoted scripture to me. As he talked about smoking pot and women and cussing. It had not changed his conduct. It had not changed his character. And so James talks about this. Take your Bibles to a familiar book and a familiar chapter, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Look at verse 21. Here's what James says about this. James says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent And humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you or change you. Now there's two phrases I want you to notice in this text. The first phrase is the phrase, get rid of. There's some things you need to remove in your life. There's some things that, that need to change in your conduct. Some things that need to change in your character. There's some things that you need to get rid of from your life. Get rid of certain things. There should be a permanent difference in your character and conduct because there are things that you're getting rid of. But then I want you to notice this other phrase, and humbly accept. Humbly accept what, church? Talk to me. Humbly accept what, according to that text? The word which can do what? Yeah, humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. That phrase, humbly accept, is an interesting phrase. Word in the original language. It basically means to put out the welcome mat. To put out the welcome mat. Do you welcome the truth of God's word into your life? Do you invite God's word to come into your heart? Do you invite God? Do you put out the welcome mat and ask God to to work in your life? That's what he's talking about here. And then he goes on to say this, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. What are the next four words? Do what it says. If you want to see life change, do what it says. Don't just merely listen, don't learn and have knowledge, but do what it says. And then he goes on this classic illustration, verse 23. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Do you know why you ought to study your Bible? Do you see how it's described in verse 25? Verse 25 describes it as the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this. Has a habit of doing this. He has a habit of getting into the Word of God and letting the Word of God get into him or to her. And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. There's that phrase again. He will be blessed in what he hears. Is that what your Bible says? He will be blessed in what he does. Everybody look up here for a minute. Do you want the blessing of God in your life? I I, I bet you do. Did you know that the blessing of God is related to your obedience to the Word of God? He said, and if you will intently look into the Word of God and continue to do this, if this becomes your holy habit, to the point that you're trying to live the Word of God, you will be blessed in what you do. You will have the blessing of God on your life. So how do we go about the process of applying Scriptures to our lives? How do we go about the process of doing what James was talking about? That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. And then I'll finish it up next Sunday night. I'll go ahead and tell you that we're going to get halfway through this and then we'll take a break. And next Sunday night we'll talk again about this process of application. There are four words I'm going to give you. I'll probably give you two of them tonight and two of them next Sunday night. So the process of application, the first word. And I'm just going to give you one word because it's hopefully a handle you can remember and hopefully a handle you can use. And so what are the... The, the four step process to application. Well the four words that will help you apply the scriptures to your circumstances. The first step. The first word is the word know. K-N-O-W. No. If you want to apply the Bible you need to know two things. If you want to apply the Bible you need to know two things. First of all you need of course to know the text. Application is always based on Interpretation let me just underline that for you, that if you start with a faulty interpretation, it likely will lead to a faulty application. So the better you understand a passage of Scripture, the better you'll be able to put it to use. So that that first step of, or that step of interpretation is critical to understanding the way to apply the text. Now, let me give you this key principle. Write this down. Interpretation is one Application is many. Interpretation is one. Application is many. I'll explain what I mean by that. There's only one ultimate interpretation of a passage of Scripture. Only one interpretation of a passage of Scripture. The text doesn't mean one thing today and something else tomorrow. There's only one interpretation of the Scripture. And the text doesn't mean one thing for you and another thing to somebody else. There is only one interpretation of Scripture. Whatever it means, it means for all people and it means for all time. There is only one correct interpretation of a Scripture. However, how we apply that Scripture is many how we apply that truth to our lives will be very different. The way that you apply that truth to your life will be very different from the way I apply that truth to my life, perhaps. An example, I just had a, a deacons meeting. And Daniel, I ran off and left that in my office when I took all my deacon stuff to my office. Uh, but Daniel was speaking to our deacons tonight about the, the importance of husbands love your wives as Christ loves the church. And he was talking about something that he got years ago at another church he was visiting in a B, in their Sunday school class. And, and it basically was a list of, here's here's the interpretation, husbands love your wives. And then it was a list of 13 applications of how you can do that. Practical ways that you can live that out. And it was a really good list. If you need that, I'll send it to you. i just... Email me, and I'll send you a copy of it, or talk to Daniel. He'll give you a copy of it. But but it it was the interpretation is clear. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We don't even have to wrestle with that interpretation. We pretty much know what that means. We can dig a little deeper, perhaps, and understand it better. But the interpretation is one. And it'll be the same interpretation next week as it was today. And it'll mean the same thing the next week and next month and next year. It's always the same because interpretation is one. And it'll mean the same thing for you as it means for me. Because interpretation doesn't change. There is one interpretation. But there are many applications. And so when it says, Keith, love your wife as Christ loves the church, how I apply that might be different from the way you apply it with your wife. Does that make sense? That the application will be different based on our circumstances. Which brings me to the second thing. So the first thing is know the text. The second thing is you've got to know yourself. You've got to know yourself. Now, turn to somebody near you just for the fun of it and to make them make them nervous, turn to somebody next to you and say, it's about to get uncomfortable in here. Now, now, listen, if you are going to apply the text, you not only need to know the text itself, you also need to know yourself. Go with me, First Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to Timothy. And Paul gives him some advice in chapter 4, verse 16. In fact, the, the, the heading on chapter 4 in my Bible says, Instructions to Timothy. And in the last verse in the chapter, Paul says this to Timothy. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I want you to notice the order there. He says, Timothy, pay attention to yourself first, and then also pay attention to the doctrine that you teach others. Because if you don't know yourself, if you don't pay attention to yourself it'll be difficult to help others apply this truth to their lives. So, he says in this order, watch your life first and your doctrine second closely. So I want to give you a little test. This is where it's going to get personal. Hopefully it won't be painful. And you're not going to have to share anything out loud, so don't don't worry about that. But I want to give you a little test to see how well you know yourself. If I were to give each of you a 3 by 5 card, I actually thought about doing this. I thought, it's just going to take too much time. But if I were to give you a 3 by 5 card, here's what I would do. I would have two questions. On one side of the card, I would say, here's the first thing I want you to do with that card. Number one, I want you to write down, what are your assets? I'm not talking about financially. What are your assets? What have you got going for you? What are you good at? What are you gifted at? How has God gifted you? What are your assets? And on that three by five card, could you write down three of your greatest assets as a child of God? What are you good at? What have you got going for you? Can I say to you that most people struggle in this area? Because it's hard for them to see or admit the things that they're good at. Now, sometimes we can see it in people. Uh, my wife's doing the nursery, so I'm going to use her illustration, but don't tell her. I think Lisa, if I were to give this card to Lisa, I think she would really struggle with that first question. Because she, she's so humble and she is so reluctant to it. She, she, she would think, I, I'm not good at anything. When in fact, she's good at a lot of things. I can see it. I could list three things for her easily but maybe she would struggle to list those three things. Maybe you're like that too. But if, we were to do, if we're going to know ourselves, here's a good place to start. Just get a three by five card. What are your assets? What are you good at? Now, on the, flip the card over in your imagination, and then I would ask you to write down the answer to this question. The second question would be, what are your liabilities? Again, I'm not talking financially, but what are your limitations? What are your greatest hindrances to growth? What is it you struggle with? Now, here's why this is interesting. If you put those two things together, your assets and your liabilities, the the things you're good at, the things that you struggle with, you begin to see the value of application, don't you? Because if you know your assets, it develops confidence in you. And if you know your liabilities, that's where God can develop faith in you. Or let me say it this way, your assets tell you what God has done for you, Your your liabilities tell you where God still needs to work in you. So the reason most of us don't grow more is because we don't know what we need. We've never really sat down and thought, what is it that I really need? What what are my liabilities? What are the areas of my life where I'm really good at this and God could build that? Or I really struggle in these areas and, and God could change that. Now, Romans 12.3 gives us some good counsel in that regard. Would you take God's word and Romans 12.3 gives us a clear word on this. Here's what it says. Again, the Apostle Paul is writing this time to the church at Rome and he says... For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, and I've underlined this in my Bible, maybe you need to underline it in yours. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should. Sometimes we can get an exaggerated opinion of ourselves and we can get all puffed up about who we are and what we've done and what we're doing. Paul says, listen, don't get too puffed up. Don't, don't, don't get too high on yourself. But at other times, we go the opposite direction, don't we? We get a distorted view of ourselves, and we begin to kind of dump on ourselves. And can I say to you that every time you dump on yourself, you're doing the, the devil's work? And can I remind you, he doesn't need your help. He is pretty good. He's a specialist in the area of kicking you, criticizing you. Telling you how bad you are. You don't need to help him in that area. So the first step to spiritual growth or the first step of application is to have insight into the passage itself and insight into yourself. That's the word know. K-N-O-W. Now, let's talk about the second step in application. And that is the word relate. Write that down. The word relate. We're talking about the four-step process of application. And the second step is the word relate. The art of applying the word of God is to ask about how the the scriptures relate to your world. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I bet you know the scripture. But let's look at it again. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in verse 16 and 17. All Scripture, how much, how much Scripture, folks? All Scripture is God-breathed. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier, how the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to bring about comfort and change in our lives. And the reason the Spirit of God is able to do that is because all Scripture is God-breathed. And is what's that next word? Talk to me. It's it's God breathed, but it's also useful. I love that word. That the Bible is actually useful. And what's it useful for? He gives us four things for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. I've shared with this with you before, but let me. Some of you perhaps have not heard it. Let me explain what all of that means. Uh, The word, look at the text again. The word, it's useful for teaching, that is to show me what I need to know. It's useful for rebuking, to show me what I need to stop. It's useful for correcting, to show me what I need to change. And it's useful for training, to show me what I need to do. All scripture is useful to bring about change in my life. All Scripture is useful to bring about change in my life. Sometimes when I come to the Word of God, God's showing me something I need to know. Sometimes when I open the Word of God, He's showing me something I need to stop. Sometimes when I open the Word of God, He's showing me something I need to change. And sometimes when I open the Word of God, He's showing me something I need to do. But it all has the idea of, this is how my life can be different if I'll respond to the Word of God. Write this down. Our goal is to bridge the gap between what was said then and how it works now in our lives. Our goal is to bridge the gap between what was said then and what is said now and how it works in our lives. So, under the under the heading of relate, we're still under that second step. The first step was no, the second step is relate. Under that second step of relate, I want to give you Uh, 10 things to help you see how we can live out the Word of God. How we can take the Word of God and relate it to our lives. This is going to be more of a checklist or a grid to say, okay, if I take this passage of Scripture and then I have this checklist or this grid, it will help me to take that Scripture and bridge the gap between what was said then and how it works now in my life. And so these are going to be 10 areas, basically, that you can ask... Does that scripture relate to this area of my life? I'm looking at the clock. We probably won't get through all ten. We may do five now and and five next Sunday. But ten ways that you can live out the Word of God. You can relate it to your life. And of course, this is not an exhaustive list. And if you don't like my list, you can make your own. You can add to it, change it, whatever you'd like to do. The thing is, just make your list real. And let the Word of God penetrate your life. So, Here's ten ways that you can live it out, that you can relate it to your life. First of all, is the word home. When you're reading a scripture, ask yourself if this relates to your home life. Whether you're married or single, whether you have kids or no kids at all, the Bible has a great deal to say about our homes. The home is the central place where we're called to live out our faith. And so... As you're reading Scripture, one of the things you need to be looking for is, is this a Scripture related to how I should live out my life in my home? And So let me give you some some questions to ask. And again, these are not intended to be exhaustive questions. These are intended to simply illustrate how you can try to relate the Scripture to your home life. Questions like, how should I treat my spouse? Does this Scripture speak about how I should treat my spouse? How should I treat my kids? Does this Scripture address... My relationship with my kids. Does it address my role in the home? That's another question. Another question would be, does it challenge me to forgive somebody in my home? Does it challenge me to ask for forgiveness of somebody in my home? Does this passage speak to how I should use my home for God's glory? So, so as you're reading Scripture, is there a word here that relates to your home? To your home life? So that's, that's one way to try to relate Scripture to life. Think about it in terms of your home. Number two, think about it in terms of your values. Your values are the principles or standards by which you live your life. And so does this text pit God's values against the earthly values that you, that you face at work? Does this text pit God's values against the cultural values that you see out in, in society? Do I value the things of God? Or am I letting the world around me squeeze me into its mold? What are the things that are val- my values? Have my values changed? Am I compromising my values? All of those kind of questions you can read a text and say, does this say anything to me about the values that I have and the way I live my life based on those values? Here's the third one. Finances. The Bible talks a lot about money. And it might surprise you to find out Jesus said a lot about money. He often used money as an illustration in the Gospels. Let me just show you one example. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is speaking and he says in verse 19, probably familiar to all of you, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so as you're reading any text in the Bible, one of the things that you can ask is, I'm trying to relate this text to my life. Does this text say anything about my finances? Does it say anything about the way I'm I'm to be a good steward of what God has given me? Does this text speak at all to the role of money in my life? Is this text showing me anything about my heart as it relates to my money? So that was number what? Three or four? Three? Here's number four. That is sexuality. As you're reading the Word of God, does this address the issue of sexuality in my life? See, God designed the human body and God designed sex itself. But He also designed it to, be, to function in a certain way, in a certain relationship of husband and wife. And not outside the relationship of a husband and wife. So as you're reading the text, one of the ways to relate the text to your life is to ask questions like, how does this impact my marriage? Is this passage warning me about temptations that I may face? Is this passage showing me how to be faithful to my spouse? Does it convict me of my perspective or my expectations of my spouse? Is this passage showing me something that I need to avoid relating to this issue? Again, you're just taking the Word of God and using this grid to say, does this relate at all to these areas? Number five is this one. Business. Work is a part of life and it consumes a great deal of your time, doesn't it? You spend a lot of time at work. And so when you're reading the Word of God... You're looking for questions like: Is there anything Is this text that I'm reading? Does it say anything about how I treat others at work? Does this text say anything about my relationship with my coworkers? Does it say anything about how I should respond to that person on the phone? Does it say anything about my honesty in my reporting? Does it say anything about integrity in the way I do my business? Does it say anything about cheating on? on this form or on that regulation, does this text speak to anything in my life regarding my work? Powerful question. I'll tell you what, I'm looking at this trying to decide how far I can get with the time left. I think I'm just going to pause there. Uh, That'll be five and we'll come back and do five more. And then we'll go a little bit deeper next time. Next Sunday night we'll talk about some practical ways that you can take the Word of God and try to apply it to your life.